Firewall? Firewall? Don't you normally start this? Oh boy. I'm on my own. <laughs> I joke because I am on my own. Thanks a lot for listening to the Farwell and Pope podcast. This is Pope. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope. I took over doing what we call in the business the head and tail of the Farwell and Pope podcast because Farwell is doing the interview solo. The Kitchener Rangers were in Saginaw last Saturday, picked up two points against the Spirit and former Kitchener Ranger head coach Troy Smith and former Kitchener Ranger Mason Kahn. I was planning on going, but because the 401 was shut down, Cambridge was a bit of a mess and leaving Ancaster at 2.15 on Friday afternoon in order to catch a 5 o'clock bus apparently was not enough time. I know. Not to mention, at one point, I got stuck at the bottom of Shant's Hill because of the weather. I couldn't get up. <laughs> I had to get a couple guys. Shout out if you're listeners to the Far Well and Put podcast. Uh, they tried to push me up the hill because I kept sliding. That didn't work. So needless to say, if you listen to the game, you probably heard that I was on assignment as they speak. Uh, and Farwell had to do the game by himself. Stick tap to Mike Farwell for doing so. Um, and for riding the bus all the way down to Saginaw alone. Um, unfortunate. Uh, I wish I could have been there, obviously. Uh, but no dice. Uh, Saginaw sits 47 points in the Western Conference. A uh, bit of a surprise team, if you were to say so. That puts them in 7th. Uh, Sixth spot, seventh spot, pardon me, sixth spot, sixth in the West, um, as as the, I am recording this podcast. Uh, top of the Western Conference, no surprise, the Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds. At recording time, they are on a 29-game point streak. Their lone over or shootout loss happened not too long ago. And now the question is, will the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds break the London Knights 05, or 05, yeah, 05 record, 0405, um, of 31 games unbeaten? That streak uh, beat the 29-game streak held way back in 78-79 by the Brandon Wheat Kings. If you go to the Bud in London, they have the banner... Uh, up and it says the longest OHL unbeaten streak at 31 games. That is absolutely insane. And so too is what the Sioux Greyhounds have done thus far. The lone loss came in a shootout to Mississauga on Thursday, January 4th uh, in Mississauga. Everybody seems to be watching this. Some people like Farwell, don't seem to think it is a streak because their uh, one was the shootout loss and a shootout win against Guelph uh, on December 30th. It, still, when you look at the standings, their streak is 28-0-0-1. Not bad. 77 points right now. They're going to clinch a playoff berth before the 50-game mark, which is absolutely ludicrous. When you think about the Ontario Hockey League and what we've come to know of the Western Conference, I, I mean, adding Taylor Radish probably won't hurt them, uh, especially after the start he got off to 
for the Greyhounds since coming over from the Erie Otters after the trade deadline. Of course, we our last Farwell and Poe podcast, we broke down the OHL trade deadline. You can uh, find it right underneath this one. Radish had nine points in his first three games with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. That is insanity, if you think about it. For a team that and a pickup that many people wondered, would he hurt what they already had going? Uh, so far, the answer is no. <laughs> um, back to whether the Greyhounds will beat the Knights' streak. The Knights' streak ended at 31 games after a 5-2 loss to the Sudbury Wolves on December 17th. That 31 games, they went 29-0-2. Those two obviously being ties. The the Greyhounds' point streak came with a loss, uh, again, to the Mississauga Steelheads. On that 04-05 London Knights team, just some names to run down, as I'm sure uh, you will recognize them. Mark Mathot, he played... Uh, numerous years, over six years in the National Hockey League. Robbie Drummond, uh, a, a captain in Colorado's organization, but never made it uh, to the NHL. He now teaches a skills uh, hockey skills school in London. Uh, Danny Savret, Brandon Prust, Robbie Shrimp, Danny Fricci, Dan Girardi, Jordan Freeman, Dylan Hunter, David Boland, Corey Perry, Adam Dennis, Jared Coleman. I says, pardon? Coleman and Dennis both didn't uh, have a, much of an NHL career. Coleman played a couple games. I don't think Dennis actually played any in the NHL. He spent years in the Buffalo Sabres farm system. But both guys were just tremendous goaltenders. And that's the year, if you remember, Farwell and I have spoken about it. That's the year where London went out and traded for Adam Dennis from the Guelph Storm, basically just so they didn't have to play him in the playoffs. After he had their number the year before. You look at the Sault Ste. Marie's Greyhounds goaltending. Matthew Vallalta, by far the standout, getting most of the starts. A third rounder, the Los Angeles Kings. But he's also backed up by Tyler Johnson, who they acquired from London in the Joseph Raymakers trade. Um, and doing quite well with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. 9-0, and a save percentage of 9-13, and a goals against average of 2.5 when we were... In London, much of the talk was the Greyhounds could be in trouble if Volalta were, knock on wood, to get injured. But Tyler Johnson seems to be holding the fort. That's just an all-around good team, top to bottom, in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, unfortunate for people in their division like Sarnia, who is having a pretty good season themselves, 62 points on the season through 44 games. Um but that Sioux Greyhounds powerhouse is just running away with that West Division and the Western Conference. Uh, time of the podcast, the Sioux leading uh, the Kitchener Rangers by four points despite being in third place. Also in the West Division, the Saginaw Spirit. And that is where the Farwell and Pope podcast takes you with one half of the Farwell and Pope podcast, Mike Farwell, who had a chance to sit down and speak with former Kitchener Rangers head coach, former Plymouth Whaler, and former Detroit Whaler before they moved to Plymouth. And of course, St. FX alum and St. FX Hall of Famer. He never takes off his ex-ring. Every time I get a chance to interview Troy Smith, the, the St. FX uh, University and his time there, 
becomes a topic of conversation because he still follows along to this day. Here is the Farwell and Pope podcast with just Farwell and Troy Smith. All right, Troy, as head coach in this league uh, for the second time around, there's there's so much to talk about just around coaching, but let's go back to you as a player uh, in this league. And a, a kid out of Hamilton gets drafted into the Ontario Hockey League with Detroit. Uh, what went through your mind at that time? Obviously, this would have been a step you wanted to take, but what's a teenager in Hamilton thinking about going to Detroit to play OHL hockey? Uh, well, a couple things. Funny enough, I remember the draft. It was at Maple Leaf Gardens, and uh, I just remember how young the coach was, who happened to be Pete DeBoer, which obviously leads into a, a much longer story. But for me, I was always a Red Wings fan, so being drafted by the Junior Wings and having the opportunity to play in Joe Lewis uh, was great. You know, unfortunately, that was taken away from me about two weeks later when we became the Whalers. But uh, you know, as a kid growing up watching the Steelhawks and even watching the Dukes or the Niagara Falls Thunder, it was just uh, really really exciting to get that opportunity to just play in the league you were never a guy that was going to put up 100 points in a season what was the key and I don't say that as an insult don't don't smack me but what was the key to your uh, success in this league well, I think if Pete and Spotter had used me properly, maybe I would have got 100 <laughs> points. But no, I, I think at the end of the day, I just, you know, I never complained. I, I worked hard. Um, I really tried to pay attention to details. And at the end of the day, I, I really believe this game people, pays back people that uh, that treat people the right way. And that's something I take a lot of pride in. And, then, and I think that's what led me to uh, getting the opportunity in Kitchener about, what, 12 years ago now. There was a guy with the Whalers organization that handled PR and play-by-play. Pete Krupski, well-known as the Krupper. Uh, You and he had a unique relationship by everything I could tell when you started coaching with the Kitchener Rangers. What was Krupper like uh, as a guy around the Whalers organization when you were a player? Uh, Krupper, he, he's an, indiv- uh, an interesting individual. He's a, he's a great man. He's extremely passionate, um, you know, and really well versed. You know, and I, I think he does a great job with the broadcasts. And you know, I, he's a guy that uh, how do I explain him? Like he, he took the losses personally. Like he really wanted the team to do well. Uh, he lived and breathed for the for the Plymouth Whalers, and, and now he's with USA Hockey. But uh, he's one of those junior hockey characters that I'm not sure you could put into put into words. You really got to meet him to understand the man every time you would go back there as a member of the Kitchener Rangers coaching staff to to the uh, <laughs> the old CompuWare Arena in Plymouth, uh, somehow a trivia question came up with your name on it. Yeah, it's the it's the only thing that uh, I think I would ever hold a a, uh, a record for, or you know, a trivia question. I guess it would be, and that's you know, I, I scored six goals my last year, and uh, we were down some forwards, so Pete moved me up front, and oddly enough, I scored a hat trick. So half my goals came in one game, and that was always something that Krepper always like to kind of give me a little bit of a ribbing about but uh yeah it was a fun game and it was nice that he remembered that you took a lot of pride in playing through injury through aches and pains uh what was the worst injury you had to suffer through and still get out there and play Ooh, that's a tough one um I would say either the broken jaw or the broken hand, one of the two, where I was actually trying to play with a full cast that didn't go too well. But, you know, broken jaw was probably the toughest one. It was uh, an unfortunate play in exhibition early on in my career, and I really had no choice. If you want to keep your spot and you're a, you're a depth defenseman, you got to find ways to stay in and not give somebody else your job. 
Was that a source of pride for you to play? Like, because you you missed very few games throughout your junior career. Uh, I, I think so. Like, you know, you always want to be a guy that's there for your team and and play extremely hard. And you know, at the end of the day, I just I love the game. So I didn't. You know, it's painful to sit up top and, and watch your team and not be able to affect it in any sort of way. So for me, you know, if I was uh, at all able, I was going to go. Uh, I don't want to jump around too much, but I, on this same vein, I remember a story from the 2008 Memorial Cup with the Kitchener Rangers where you're a coach, and maybe maybe you got banged up a little bit as a coach, and you couldn't, you couldn't, you had to go back into the rink for something. Maybe you remember the story better. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I'm still paying this bill for that. It was actually Steve Mason was getting off the bus. We were in Belleville, and uh, he was on crutches, and he forgot his wallet at the back of the bus. So me trying to be the good team guy, I decided that I'm going to go back and get his wallet for him so he doesn't have to go back with crutches. And as I'm hopping through the seats, my toe accidentally hits the Gatorade cooler, to which point my knee fully flexed, hits the arm chair of the of the bus, and it hurt. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, but both Pete and Spotter were at the front uh, laughing hysterically at me laughing. But long story short, I, I found out later that I had a broken kneecap. So I battled through that playoff series, and you know, really, it was more stupidity than 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 being intelligent and get it looked at. But I, I just couldn't take the the chance of getting the abuse of it and you know it's still sore to this day but uh i'd take the soreness for that ring any day of the week all right we'll come back to the kitchener rangers and obviously those two men in, in uh spotter and DeBoer in a bit but uh after your playing career in the ontario hockey league it was off to st fx and i know uh that you have uh very fond memories of your time there uh, it's the greatest place on earth. It's you know what? It's the way university is meant to be. It's all small class sizes. Where uh, it's an, it's actually a beautiful campus. Anybody that's thinking about it should definitely go out and take a look. And you know the one thing I think I learned there is that it's not always about uh, the place. Anaganish is a very small town, um, but at the end of the day, if you're a good person there, um, you know you, you'll be treated well and you'll really enjoy your experience. And that's really a place where I think I grew a lot as a person and started to understand the value of. Uh, of being a good person and also more importantly something that i use even now today surrounding yourself with good people and you know the best people are, are out there in my opinion brian Mulroney's the best prime minister he's a he's a graduate and uh you know history has shown that you know the one thing that trump wants to take down is nafta and that that's all brian so uh again it, it's a fantastic place i had the opportunity to play with my brother i had a great coach there in danny flynn and uh you know from a playing perspective obviously the pinnacle of my career winning a national championship wasn't there a, a recent – I'm going off the top of my head here, but there was some kind of Hall of Fame induction, wasn't there, Smitty? Yeah, with me, there'll never be an individual Hall of Fame induction, but uh, no, it was, it was the team. So, you know, again, a, a very small school. I think enrollment at the time was 4,100 or something like that. And, you know, we were fortunate after three tries in the national final to win in 2004. So uh, last year uh, in October, I think it was, we were inducted into the Hall of Fame as a team, which was a great thrill. And, you know, for me, I've never really had the opportunity to go back on campus when students are around. It's always in the summer when it's much quieter. So it was great to go back, feel the energy of campus, and obviously revisit with some, uh, some great teammates. One of my favorite things about having you around the rink in Kitchener was getting to know your dad. He was at virtually every game, uh, got to know him really well. How much of an influence was he on your hockey career? 
Uh, huge. As much as you know, he's uh, he's a broadcaster. I don't want to uh, you know chirp on the broadcasters too much, but no, he was heavily involved in hockey as well. He was general manager of a Colonial Hockey League team and did some scouting as well, things like that. So, you know, I think obviously him and, and my mom just you know uh, the amount of time and, and commitment, not only financially but uh, just stress wise of getting four boys to rinks all the time. Uh, they had a huge influence on my career and sacrificed a lot for us. And uh, you know, he's still a guy that you know watches every single game and every every minute hangs on every play and uh you know somebody that i I look forward to talking to every day who is the best player in the family me without a doubt (laughs) not even close my brother my brother mikey would argue that he was uh he was leading scorer for kingston one year who was a non-playoff team so that's what i always tell him is that if i had played on a non-playoff team i would have been a leading scorer as well but uh no he he was a really good player he definitely had a lot more skill i would say that uh he was a forward i was a defenseman turned forward in the last part of my (laughs) the last year of my ohl career but uh he was a good player in his own right but uh i'll never i'll never admit to him being better than me not a chance (laughs) At what point along the way or where did you develop the love for music that you have? I think that was just growing up. You know, I, my dad was a disc jockey on a Canadian AM station in Hamilton that was very, uh, very popular at the time. And you know, my dad probably had ten or fifteen thousand records. So for as long as I can remember, whether it was my mom having my dad on in the mornings and, and listening to the music or the drums that my dad had downstairs, he had a set of uh, 1967 Gretsch drums that my older brother CA actually, you know, kind of took a liking to, and 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 he's a, a musician now. You you know, whereas Mikey and I would be shooting pucks. But I, I think it was right from birth, you know, being able to go to the studio on Garfield Street in Hamilton uh, was always something special, and music was just always around us. And, and my dad obviously has a passion for that as well, and, you know, just telling different stories or making up new lyrics to different songs and things like that. Uh, you know, really the two combined, because a lot of those moments were on the way to the rink where, you know, he'd talk about uh, whether he saw this band at the Summer Gardens in Port Dover or whatever it may be. You know, the two kind of tied in together, uh, you know, to create some really nice memories. Who's weirder, musicians or goaltenders? Whew. That's a that's a good question. I, I I would still go with musicians. I think you got to be a little bit weird to be that creative. But uh, you know, musicians are some of the, the greatest people that you're ever going to meet. You know, they're uh, they're very kind souls, and um, you know, but they're definitely they're definitely quirky and weird. My brother's no different. Nicest guy in the world. I'd, I'd do anything for him, but he's definitely got his quirks. <laughs> All right, let's get into coaching at this level, and and we'll go back to when you were drafted into the Ontario Hockey League with Detroit, and Pete DeBoer uh, is your coach. We know where Pete is now. We know what he's doing. We know a lot about his career. As a teenage hockey player, what's it like playing for him? Uh, you know what? He, he was really, he's always been intense. You know what? He, he's still intense to this day. And, you know what? I, I think, you know, over time, I think initially when you're playing for him, you're just, you're so nervous and you want to do well. And I, I think that's something that every kid coming to the OHL feels. Uh, that you don't really understand uh, where coaches are coming from sometimes. And what I mean by that is you, you don't have the ability, or at least I didn't, I shouldn't talk for everybody, you don't have the ability to, to listen to what they're saying. You, oftentimes you just listen to how people are saying it. And, you know, Pete was tough. He, he was demanding and, 
uh, you know, wanted to make sure that we were detailed and we worked hard and things like that. And as I've grown early, older, I've understood that, you know, it was to push and get more out of us. And and really, you know, he has our best interests at heart. And I think all coaches are like that. You know, it's, it's much easier being an assistant coach where you can just be everybody's buddy and you get to be the good guy. It's it's a lot tougher. And, and in some ways, uh, you know, you're on a little bit of an island as a head coach because you have to have honest conversations. And again, depending on how that person hears that conversation, sometimes it can be taken the wrong way when in reality, you're just trying to do what's best for the team. And, and a lot of times what's best for the individual, I think, you know, and Pete's no different, you know, he, he, he wasn't a guy that was going to tell you, you know, all the, all the great things and, you know, give you the pats on the back. He was going to say, Hey, here's what you do well, but here's what you need to improve on. And here's what we need to do to get better. And you know, I, I really grew to appreciate that as, as I got older. So after you finish your playing career uh, at St. FX, toil around in the minors just a little bit, and next thing you know, you're in Kitchener, one of the most storied Ontario Hockey League franchises where Pete and Steve Spott are there as coaches, and, and you end up being uh, another assistant coach on that team. How did that come to pass? That was really just luck. I was actually going to go back to school and, and get an education degree back out east. I, I thought I'd spend my life out there just because I love the Maritimes so much. And I was playing in Danbury, Connecticut for the Danbury Trashers, which uh, you can look that up on Sports Illustrated. If you know, that's, a, that's a whole other podcast, Mike. But uh, I was playing there, and I remember I got a call from uh, from Spotter, actually, right before I was about to walk into our dressing room, and he just said, Freddie Parker's leaving, who another Santa Fe grad and, and good, good man, scout for Calgary now. Uh, Freddie Parker's leaving and Pete and I want to offer you the job if you want it. So I felt really fortunate. Um, you know, really just, you know, it's almost like uh, there's a great band from Hamilton called the Arkells and they got a line in private school called Born on Third Base. Thought you hit a triple and, you know, what? hey, that's I was really kind of born on third base when it came to coaching where, you know, Pete and Spotter gave me this opportunity. I didn't have to slug it out in minor hockey or junior B or anything like that. And and, uh, you know, just fortunate, really, really fortunate to get that opportunity. But what I did was after I finished playing, I just kept hanging around. I'd come and help out at training camps in Plymouth and Kitchener, help them playoff runs, things like that. And, you know, eventually they figured, you know, can't get rid of this guy. We might as well pay him to be here. <laughs> you mentioned Freddie Parker's name. Gosh, and I haven't seen him in so long, but I remember, of course, his time in Kitchener, and I love seeing them around the rink, and it makes me think of how small this game can be. Uh, does it feel like family in hockey, maybe a, a large family, but cause you see the same faces over and over again, it seems. It really is. It's it's so small, and it's it's bizarre a lot of times. I was just talking to Dan Liebold about Mason Cohn, who started in Kitchener when I was in my first year as a head coach, and now he's an overager, and you know I'm in Saginaw. He's been to Oshawa, everything else. Uh, last night I was in Muskegon watching Tyler Spott, who's Steve Spott's son, play in the in the USHL, and about a month ago I was watching Jack DeBoer at the U.S. program. So it's really come full circle to where, you know, like – I was coached by their dads when they were that age and you know no doubt um, it's small in that sense and it's bizarre in that sense but you run into all sorts of people you know like Barry Hoke is probably the guy I miss the most in Kitcher he's just full on entertainment and uh, you know that's really again what makes the game so special and it goes back to you know if you're a good person you're going to survive in this game. How much of an influence after having played for them uh, were Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott on your coaching career? Do you take anything that you learned while coaching with them into your own tactics as a head coach? 
Yeah, every every day, without a doubt. You know, they're my two biggest mentors, and then Danny Flynn, who I had out at at Saint FX. But um, you know what? I, I think over the years, you know, he, he, as I mature as a coach, I, I do start to become my own coach, my own man, and and take those lessons and what they would do in those situations, and and really make it my own. But again, it's it's that whole born on third base. You know, I, I was really lucky and fortunate that not only was I coached by two uh, great coaches. And and, and then mentored by them, but I've also got two great friends, and that you know I can call and say, hey, here's the situation, and you know I'll, I'll give an example. There was a situation where I was thinking about sitting a player down. You know, I call those two guys. They each actually gave me two different opinions, but at the end of the day, you know, it's great to have guys like that to lean on who have had such tremendous success in the game. You uh, you took a break. It was less than a year, but you you stepped away from the game for a little while. And knowing you like I do, I can only imagine how difficult that was. What led to the decision to say I need to step away from behind the bench here in Hamilton and, and take a break from the game? Well, born on third base, thought I hit a triple. <laughs> it, uh, you know what? It uh, I was really lucky to get that opportunity, and um, you know, it's not that I, I hated the game or anything like that. But there was a couple things. One, you know what? Like I was, you know, there there was always the opportunity to go in the car business. My best friend's family is the Leggett family, who own a, a bunch of car dealerships in the Burlington Hamilton area, and there was a great opportunity there for me that you know was not only um, you know f- fiscally potentially rewarding but also um, you know something different something that I hadn't done and and the timing of it wasn't fantastic but it was something that I I think I needed to do and when you look at you know your kind of journey you know long term I think 30 40 years from now I'm really going to look at that and and think it was the right decision because I needed to take the emotion out of uh, myself and and um, you know kind of find out you know, I'd step back from the game and find out what kind of coach I was, get back to who I was as a person, and uh, and reattack things, which I think is really what it allowed me to do. And, and I think I'm better for it now being here in Saginaw. So is Troy Smith, head coach of the Saginaw Spirit, different than the Troy Smith, head coach of the Kitchener Rangers and the associate in Hamilton in between? Yeah, without a doubt. I, I think coaches are always evolving. I think that's probably a better question for Mason. You know, I, I think Mason would be the first one to tell you that I'm getting a little bit soft in my old age. But, um, you know, hey, that, that's all part of it. you got to learn how to adapt. And, and I just think I'm a lot more comfortable in my own skin. You talk about Pete and Spotter, and I think in a lot of times I was trying to do – uh, things that they would do, which I, I still try to do. I want to, you know, I obviously want to be like them and I admire everything that they do, but at the end of the day, um, y- you have to be yourself. At the end of the day, if you're not being yourself, it's just not genuine. Uh, kids are not dumb these days. They're going to read right through it and they're not going to buy into the message. I think if you're if you're truthful with yourself and you're being yourself, then it's a lot easier to sell uh, what you're trying to do with your team. You were talking a little bit ago about uh, seeing spotter and divorce kids playing now watching and it's just it's crazy how time flies it's 20 years since you played this game how much different is it at this level than when you were here uh well it's only 19 so let's not <laughs> let's not get too far ahead here it's only 19 not 20 i don't need to age uh it, it's completely different you know what like um the speed the skill level is through the roof obviously it's a lot less physical uh you know a lot less fights which i i don't think is a is a horrible thing and you know, these kids today, they, they really want to know why. You know, they, when I played for Pete, Pete told me to do something, and I was going to do it no matter if I thought it was a good idea, bad idea, or, or didn't care. You know, he's the coach, and 
I don't care the reason why. I'm just going to go out and try and do it. Whereas now, you know, you, you really got to explain to these kids, here's the reason why we're going to do it. Here's what can happen. You know, here's how it can benefit our team, and here's how it can benefit you. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I think that's a good thing. I, I think it's important that people understand why you're doing things and, and uh, you know, the, the reward that can come from it. And, um, you know, but the skill level and the speed, I, I don't know if I could play uh, in this era. <laughs> That's just because of the knee that you banged up in yeah. Belleville. <laughs> uh, uh, probably the hands too and the mind, but no, it, it's a different different era. These kids, uh, they can make plays now, and it's, it's it's exciting to watch. I think, you know, I would like to see a little bit more physicality here and there, but um, you know, for the most part, I think the product's really good and uh, it continues to get better. So, if you were born on third base. Uh, and then you take your little break, and maybe you tried to steal home. I'm not sure how we'd describe it. I might be trying too hard here. But how does it come to pass that uh, Troy Smith ends up here in Saginaw as the head coach? Well, if, if I'm born on third base, I don't want Mike Farwell at the plate next, <laughs> that's for sure. But, uh, no, you know what, it, it was quite simple. You know what, I'd made the decision that I really wanted to get back into it. And ironically enough, I'd talked to Pete the day before. And I'd been on a, in on a couple jobs where I was close, and even some American League jobs, things like that. And uh, Pete and I had a conversation where it was, you know, hey, Neil might have to wait till next year, or maybe somebody's let go halfway through the year and needs a veteran guy, whatever it may be. Um, and then sure enough, the next day, uh, Spencer Carberry resigned from his post here. And, um, you know, Dave Drinkle called me uh, that day, you know, asked if I was interested in the job because he had heard that I was trying to get back in. And uh, so I took him up on the offer for an interview, came down and interviewed three or four days later and was offered the job uh, two days after that. So it was a it was a pretty quick turnaround because I think I think Spencer resigned July 28th and I was named like August 5th or 6th and then had to move here by the 27th <laughs> and and, you know, transition the business I was in, uh, albeit. But uh, we've got a great thing going here. We've got fantastic ownership we've got a, a really exciting young team you know we're we're still growing i think if we're not the youngest team we're one of the youngest teams in the league still and uh you know the ownership is really committed to it we've got uh dick garber who's a local businessman craig goslin who's been around forever as the managing partner we've got a local guy chris osgood and then uh, you know probably uh i shouldn't say this but one of my not my favorite but the most um uh, the biggest mentor I have from the ownership group would be a guy named Jimmy Devolano, who's been in the NHL for 52 years, and the stories that he's able to tell us are, are unbelievable. And um, you know, just his knowledge and his background is, is a great resource for all of us. From one of the most storied franchises in the Canadian Hockey League with Kitchener uh, to hometown in Hamilton to here in Saginaw, uh, it's a it's a different market for sure in the OHL. One of three that are stateside, but. What's the game like in a market like this? Uh, you know, it, it's. I, I knew what I was getting into, having been in Plymouth, but uh, it, it's different. You know, the the fans. You know, they they're really supportive. You know, when you have a bad night, it's okay. You know, whether we're going to keep bouncing back, and you know, what, I, I think our market is growing. I think this team. You know, if we can turn it around and get it headed in the right direction, then you'll see a much bigger fan base. You're already starting to see it, where season ticket holders are up, and and you're starting to see a lot more people at, at the game. But it's more about education. Uh, you you know, a lot of people here, you know, it's America where college often reigns supreme and they don't understand the fact that, you know, the CHL is actually the best development league in the world, bar none. As much as, you know, some other junior leagues want to say they're the best, they're just not. You know, you're never going to see 
um, you know, players like Connor McDavid or Gabriel Landeskog or Jeff Skinner, guys like that. Um, you know, in the universe, not never, but very rarely. The best players, it's been proven over and over, are coming through this league, but it's a matter of educating the fans on that, that, you know, you can come here and, and watch, um, you know, a player play for $20, and the next year, Little Caesars have to pay 200 bucks for them. So it, it's probably, uh, it's a little bit like university hockey for me in Canada, where it's, it's a well-kept secret, and hopefully we can uh, break that secret open soon. It's probably helping break that secret open because of how well the team is playing. This is, uh, you know, take the media for what it is, but I don't think anybody predicted that the Saginaw spirit would be in the position that they're in right now. What's the secret that's, uh, what's got it going well this year for you? Uh, leadership. You know what, Keaton Middleton is a Stratford kid. His his brother Jacob played in the league as well. Um, you know, I think he's done a tremendous job of keeping our team on the even keel and understanding that we have to work hard every night for, for what we have. You know, when you look at our lineup, we've got four 16-year-olds. We've only got one 19-year-old and then three overagers. And, you know, we had a, a tough start. And, uh you know, really the, the one trade that we made was for Mason Cohn. And Mason, you know, knowing what I was getting from him, I knew that he was going to be a hardworking kid that uh, could bring a little bit of skill. And, and he's also brought a ton of leadership. And, and really the difference was that we didn't have – at that point, the older guys that could go out and execute what we wanted to do, whereas now Mason could come in, he could execute it, and I think that was really important for our guys to see a peer do it. It's one thing for me to show Toronto Maple Leaf clips or San Jose Shark clips, things like that. It's another thing for them to see one of their peers do it, and we've kind of, uh, you know, not not taken off because we're still, you know, middle of the pack here in the conference, but we've definitely vastly improved, and and without a doubt, I think we're we're a little bit higher than people would have predicted. I think, you know, um, you know, being so young, I, I don't think there was high expectations, but, you know, the expectations have been raised internally, which is probably uh, the most important thing. How much fun was it being behind the bench for that comeback versus Sarnia this year? <laughs> I mean, was there this, – this starts late second period. You're down 6 nothing, yeah. And, and, and the, was there a point – can you feel that behind the bench that you thought something special is happening here? Yeah, well, I'll walk you through it. It was uh, four nothing after the first, and to be honest, if I'm being completely truthful, which I'm trying to be a lot more transparent with you media types these days, you know, four nothing, I'm going, oh wow, this is the number one ranked team in the country. We might lose by ten. What am I going to say after the game? Right. So after the first, I went in, their heads are down, just kind of gave them a life speech. You know, you're going to be in a lot tougher spots if you ever lose your job, need to pay a mortgage, whatever it may be. So it's four nothing. They go out, score two goals. It's six nothing. And then we make it 6-1 with just under two minutes to go, then 6-2. So after the second period, 6-2, I'm a little bit more comfortable. Not happy, but a little bit more comfortable. And I just, you know, we talk about the process where we don't want to, if we're winning or losing, we just want to keep trying to get better. And that's it. And, you know, I I think it's a good way to approach things because when you're in this situation, it's perfect. You're just going out to play. It doesn't matter. And uh, so that was the discussion in the second. Then we scored with 15 minutes left. I think we scored our next goal at um, like the five or six minute mark to make it 6-4. Score about 15 seconds later, make it 6-5. And at this point, I'm not laughing 
at the other team, but I'm laughing with my coaches because this is just ridiculous. Like, it's 6-5. But when the pressure really hit is when we tied it up to make it 6-6 and there was still three and a half minutes to go. Because at this point, I'm going, oh, boy, I can't be the coach that comes back from 6 nothing, make it 6-6 and blow it. So the message was basically, let's just get the point, boys. This is robbery, and we'll get out of there. But uh, I think that moment when we made it, you know, six five is probably when we're like, oh wow, we could actually do this. And then to win it in overtime, it was, it was once in a lifetime. I'm not even sure our buddy Don Cameron can tell you that he he <laughs> saw a game like that. Yeah, you know what? Uh, if if he did, he'd remember it. I can tell you that much when you ask him. Uh, you mentioned process. Here we are in a game day, and I'm sucking up valuable time of a head coach. Take us through uh, a game day for a head coach in this league. What what usually are you going through? Uh, well, it depends, right? Like it's uh, you know with the OHL, a lot of kids are in school, so you know if it's a Friday, it's different than a Saturday. But for us today, you know we had all the players in at nine o'clock, had a quick meeting. Um, they could go on the ice if they wanted. Basically, we're trying to to instill uh, the confidence in them to prepare whatever they need to do to prepare. They can do that. But for us, you know, we've obviously watched a couple games on Kitchener. Now I'm at that point where I'm just kind of um, you know siphoning down what clips we're going to show the team before. Um, I'll try and get a workout in so that I don't blow up from all the media room food here in Saginaw, which is a good spread. It's, it's a it's a rival with Kitchener for sure and Windsor with best spread in the league. And um, you know, I'll get a workout in and go home. Uh, every good pro has a nap, so I'm not afraid to admit that I'll probably have a half an hour or an hour shutdown, come back, and uh, you know, really just present our, our game plan to, to hopefully compete tonight against Kitch. I'm reminded a little bit of The Godfather. Every time I try to get out, it sucks me back in. And although you only had that one brief hiatus, but you you made the conscious decision to try to come back to the game. Why? Why hockey? Uh, it's what I love to do. It's 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 really as simple as that. You know, for me, the the car business was always an option, and it was kind of like that thing over my shoulder where. I think if you have a, a backup plan, you, you tend to fall back on it. Whereas now I, I've done that; it's out of the way, and um, you know I, I don't have a backup plan. I want to work in hockey, and I'm going to find a way to make sure that I do that. I don't envy coaches at any level. It's tough. I, it, there's a lot of pressure, and that pressure is to win. And when you're not, you, you, well, you've been through it. You've been you've been fired as a head coach. You've been an assistant coach. Worked your way up. Uh, do you thrive on that? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Like I, I, I love to compete. I love game days. You know, I, I wouldn't have come back if I didn't love everything about it. And I, I think you know when you talk about pressure and talk about growth as a coach earlier, things like that. I think the biggest thing that I've learned, uh, and again, it came from from Pete, was you know you can't confuse effort with execution. And you know when you're you're under the gun, you you know you need to win. At the end of the day, if we don't win games, uh, I'm looking for a job. That's the reality of of my situation, and I'm okay with that. You know, haven't been through it now. I, I know that I'll survive, but uh, you really got to find that balance of not confusing um, lack of execution with lack of effort. If the effort's there, eventually things fall into place, and and that's something that I think has really helped our team this year. You mentioned earlier that you wouldn't trade that ring from that OHL championship 2008 for anything. I know you also proudly wear your St. FX ring. Uh, is the goal for Troy Smith in hockey to add to the, uh, the bling at different levels? Uh, well, I should quit if if, if it's not in the uh, in the plans. Like right now, I've got an OHL championship ring and, and a CIS or U Sports championship ring. I'd like to add another OHL championship ring. Obviously, hopefully, Memorial Cup down the road, things like that. And you know, everybody wants to move forward. I, I want to move forward as a coach, but. Um, 
you know, at the end of the day, I'm not in a rush to do that. I want to make sure that you know, I'm looking after what I'm doing right now. And I think we've got a good thing going in Saginaw. I want to be here for a, a number of years and, and at least see the cycle through this time and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, bring Saginaw kind of on the map where, you know, they haven't had a ton of success here, but I can tell you that the ownership definitely deserves it. And, uh, you know, hopefully if we can stay the course here, we can get it to that point. I couldn't help but notice that earlier this season you also did the podcast with Merrick and Cosentino. Uh, do you want to compare experiences? Uh, well, yours is live and in person, whereas theirs, you know, there's some more fancy uh, songs going on before. And and, and, I, and I love Merrick and, and Sammy. You know, they're, they've both been great. Um, you know, Jeff and I and, and Sammy both have a, a unique relationship. And, you know, um, yeah, they, they've been big supporters of not only the CHL but of me. And, uh, you know, same with you, Mike, as much as I I hate to admit it, I, I really truly do admire Mike Farwell. It's it's painful for me to say this because I love to give it to you. You but, just said this is live. This is yeah, I'm saving it. No, now, yeah. that's fine. That's that's totally fine. I, I, I wouldn't admit it publicly, but uh, you know, again, it goes back to special people, Mike, and I, I really admire how hard you work for this, and, and obviously what you do with the Farwell for Hire thing. I think uh, you're a great attribute to the community, and uh, hopefully everybody recognizes that. Don't cry. I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try not to. But listen, I think you're an asset to this game, and I'm glad to see you back in it. I was thrilled when I saw that uh, release come that you were here in Saginaw, and I, uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks for making time for us. Always, Michael. <laughs> you have to do that, eh? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> there you have it. One half of the Farwell Info podcast, Mike Farwell, with former Kitchen Arranger head coach Troy Smith, a long time in the game of hockey, and it is good to see Smitty back in the game of hockey uh, after a quick departure. Uh, well, this game has a tendency to pull you back in it, especially when it is your number one love in the world. And for Troy, it obviously is playing from 94 to 06 and then hopping right behind the Kitchener Rangers bench with, as you heard, Pete DeBoer and Steve Spot, very positive things to say about both of those gentlemen. And uh, a quick departure after 16, but back in it and doing great things with that Saginaw Spirit team, a very young team. And that is something Troy Smith has uh, done before when he was in Kitchener and uh, a guy that can help those youngsters down there in Saginaw has done so thus far. Um, I wish I would have had a chance to sit down with Smitty, but glad to see him back uh, in the game of hockey and definitely back in the Ontario Hockey League. Speaking of the Ontario Hockey League, as Farwell and I are both Kitchener Ranger broadcasters, it's as of note, they are at home this weekend to Erie and Guelph. And if you liked this episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast, make sure to check out episode 10, Passport. What Passport? When we continue to dive into my wonderful time trying to travel to the United States this year, uh, that is a podcast from Erie where we spoke to a bar owner downtown to find out what is Erie all about and what kind of atmosphere the Erie Otters and sport all around bring to the downtown core of Erie, Pennsylvania. A lot of fans can, the Kitchener Ranger fans travel well, and there are numerous teams in this league that have fans at every rink they go to. Um, And it's easy to travel around Ontario, but not a lot of fans are willing to make that drive down to Erie. And it's a great little barn they got there after making some making some changes to it not too long ago and a really great franchise. We've talked about it numerous times. Back to back to back to back 50 win 
seasons. They've sent numerous players to the National Hockey League. You don't have to look too far to go down an NHL roster to not see an Erie Otter. Um, and now they're going through a bit of a rebuilding stage. They collected a haul in that Taylor Radish trade that I talked about at the beginning. Um, but Erie obviously doing good things. Check out episode 10, Passport. What passport? And if you're a Guelph fan, they're in town on Sunday, episode 11 of the Farwell and Pope podcast. 18,000 games. That's a malot. That's a pun. And yes, it was intended. Larry Malott, the broadcaster of the Guelph Storm, uh, and the Guelph Platers and the Guelph Mad Hatters and just about every Guelph hockey team that has come through the city of Guelph, Larry Malott has been the voice behind it, celebrating 18,000 games in December, recognized by the Guelph Storm. Larry took some time uh, to join the Farwell and Pope podcast, and he's one of those guys in the league that, as the storm goes, so do does Mary or Larry Malott. And uh, it was it was great to sit down and speak with a veteran of this league who has seen just about everything. Speaking of everything, the Farwell and Pope podcast tries to bring you everything from the road, and we will continue to try to do so until the end of the year. This is episode 15. Make sure to head back and take a listen. Let us know what you think. It's available on iTunes, uh, on the podcast app, and just about every pod catcher possible. Of course, 570news.com. There's a little audio button at the top. You click it. It'll take you to a page of all the audio on 570. Click the Firewall and Pope podcast. From there, it's pretty simple. Press the play button. Sit back and relax. Uh, and, and take a listen. Uh, you can also get it at Farwell underscore OHL. He's on assignment right now. Uh, or on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope. Farwell is not here. I'm Pope. And that was the Farwell and Pope podcast. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.